Hey brothers, my name is Doug Draper. I'm a 1992 graduate from the University of Kansas, and I'd like to welcome you to On the Banks. On the Banks is the only fraternity podcast where we meet brothers, share stories, and embrace the share value of the Phi Gamma Delta fraternity. Today, we have an awesome guest. I'd like to um, welcome Victor Kui with us today. Um, Victor has over 25 years of uh, sports industry experience. He's recognized as one of the most influential in the world in sports in Asia and globally for having to build one brand. Uh, it's a global powerhouse in the last decade. Now, as CEO, he started the company nine years ago in Singapore. And today the company is valued, if you can believe this, of over a billion dollars. He's frequently quoted in media and his leadership journey actually started with the fraternity uh, back in 1990 at the University of Alberta. So, Victor, can't thank you enough for joining us today on the banks. How are you doing? Excellent, Doug. No, thank you for the opportunity, and it's always my pleasure to give back to the fraternity. Yeah, terrific. So, I guess we'll we'll kind of start where we start, which is give us a little history. How'd you get? How you got into sports marketing and everything else? I know you just didn't pop on the blip and all of a sudden manage a a multinational corporation like you do. So, tell us about how you got into the industry. Well, you know. Probably like most young men, they dream of working in sports. And that's always something that I'd love to do. I was active in sports back when I was um, 25 pounds lighter. Okay, 30 pounds lighter. All right. And, you know, and, and just always, was always looking for opportunities. My first real big break came in um, uh, 96 or 97 when I moved to Malaysia and got a chance to work on the Commonwealth Games. So I worked on the Commonwealth Games there in Malaysia. Then um, from that, that just led to working on the Australian um, Olympics, then the World Championships in Athletics in Edmonton, Edmonton 2001. And that was just really the beginning of it. Um, I had a chance after 2001 to go work with Golf Canada out east in Ontario for a little while and then um, moved to Singapore to work with ESPN, which was basically my, my dream job. You know, mm -hmm. who, if you love sports, you wanna work in ESPN. And uh, I, I worked there for five and a half years or so with ESPN before I launched with um, my chairman and our largest shareholder, uh, Chakra Sityotong, and we launched uh, one championship about nine, 10 years ago. Yeah, that's terrific. And for, for uh, some of the brothers in our audience that may not be familiar with One Championship, tell us a little bit about what that business is. I know it's the mixed martial arts, but it's a lot more than that. Give us kind of an overview of that. Uh, that. Well, I'd say that there's sort of a natural duopoly in the world when it comes to major industries. You know, you've got um, uh, Apple, Samsung, Pepsi, Coke, in martial arts, you've got UFC in, in the West and in Asia, you have one championship. We're broadcast globally to 150 countries around the world. Last year, you know, pre-COVID, we held almost 24 events for the year, um, broadcast to a global audience of almost about 1.5 billion to 2 billion people. We're the, usually the top highest rated show in most of our major uh, markets in Asia when we air live. Mm -hmm. So we're really, really fortunate to have a fantastic, fantastic product that the fans have really embraced. And what's different in Asia compared to, let's say, out West when it comes to martial arts is martial arts is a deep rooted cultural heritage in Asia. Mm 
And it's not about fight. It's not about being who's the toughest because people that do martial arts here in Asia, their entire identity and their, their national pride is connected to it. It could be karate in Japan, Taekwondo in Korea, Muay Thai in Thailand, but they're, it's a really important part of their character. And, and our athletes that participate in the sport look to represent not only themselves, but their martial arts and their country, and they take that responsibility um, seriously. So our, our sport and what we do really is revolves around the belief of the power of martial arts to make this world a better place. Mm-hmm. And um, through martial arts, we want to elevate and showcase heroes that um, build pride and inspiration for for people all around the world. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say it's not about the fight. I have uh, saw a couple of your posts on LinkedIn and there was one, gosh, probably a week or so ago. And it was just, it was a picture of two, uh, of two fighters. Both of them were on the ground and one was consoling the other one because I think he had just won the match. And I think your, your, uh, your, your message was two warriors, neither one of them speak the same language, but you know, there's, um, you know, the humanity of, of everything comes out, which speaks volumes to what, what you just said. That was the, anyway, I saw that post and thought it was terrific. Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite pictures. And you'll see that with, with, our, with our sport, our athletes, the moment that their bout is complete, they will bow down and to the corner or they will, you know, congratulate their opponent. And it's really uh, a very respectful brotherhood of, of martial arts, of great artists that coming together that have spent their whole life developing the skill set and this talent and are looking for someone else at a world-class level to challenge them and bring the best out of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I know one thing that we had talked about when you and I uh, were chatting off air, and, and I like to just simply say it's one of the, uh, the tenets or the mantras that we were talking about was kind of being uncomfortable in the company of greatness. Um, I kind of put those two things together, but when we were talking, it was really about some of the, the things that you learned when you were at the fraternity and kind of how you took those um, you know, to heart and, and really have managed your, your business and personal career. So I think the uncomfortable, you know, I think people are like, well, what does that mean? It would be great if you could expand upon that. Uh, I think that would be a great start. Yeah, I mean, I think you really touched on it there. Uh, uh, the foundation of my leadership, I would say, really started with the fraternity, mm-hmm. um, where you take this group of arrogant 18-year-old men and you put them all together from all walks of life, from different religions, ethnicities, different social economic backgrounds, and you're all together and somehow you're bonded by this common bond of something, something else that you want in life. And you slowly in the fraternity discover what that is with mm-hmm. each other and, 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 and what this lifelong bond is, is about. But a lot of my leadership um, experiences really started with what the fraternity taught me. And the first one that I regularly talk about is actually not uncomfortableness, it's unreasonable, being mm-hmm. unreasonable. And um, the way I say unreasonable is that you know, many people think of the word unreasonable as a, in a negative sense, like you're an unreasonable unre- person, Doug. But I, I look at the word unreasonable as a very positive word. And I'll give you this context. Um, I think 
anybody that chooses to join the fraternity is an unreasonable man. And why would I say that? Because when I joined the fraternity, almost everybody I spoke to said, why would you do that? You want to join a frat, be a frat boy and party and booze <laughs> up and blah, 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 you know, all the movie stereotypes. They're like reasonable friends gave me reasonable advice to say, what do you need to join this fringe organization for? How does that make any sense? Uh, you know, reasonable friends gave the advice and sound advice. Like you want to pledge, you want to go through all of that. How does initiation, you know, what do you know about this? You don't know any of these people. And, um, but for some reason, because of unreasonableness, you see this other group of people that are, are want to come together. Mm-hmm. And you, that is the beginning of the journey of being comfortable with a sense of unreasonableness that you understand that reasonable people do not. And um, that, that's such a big lesson for, for me in life because a lot of the things that you wanna do, people have great intentions and they give you reasonable advice that leads you down a reasonable path. And you know, one thing that's very, uh, how do I say it, Doug? Is it like, we're, we're very fortunate in North America compared to the rest of the world in that achieving a reasonable life is within the grasp of most people. You know, mm-hmm. to have a roof over your house, running water, a toilet, food, all these kind of reasonable expectations in life that we accept is achievable in North America. Um, whereas in other parts of the world, no matter what you do, you'll never escape the level of poverty that they have. You only have to go to look to the ghettos in the Philippines where people rummage through garbage every day for food or to, the, to poverty in Indonesia or Southeast Asia to look at that. And, and in North America, we're so fortunate to, to have this reasonable life there for us. You, know, you, uh, you just have to do a couple of things, right? Like um, not, not go to jail. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You, you know, stay out of jail, uh, um, uh, go to school, get some education, which is available free for you. There's no one stopping you from going. Um, go to church every once in a while, you know, whatever the, your, your community interaction is. And you can, ha- you can have a great life in North America. You can have a car, you could provide for your family. And that's all reasonable goals. But a lot of times, the things that you want to do that are not the average and on a different path require you to have faith in your unreasonable goal. And that's why I love that. I love that word. It, yeah. it's, it's something that doesn't, doesn't, it used to, to phase me before when people would say, be reasonable or you're being unreasonable. And today I look at that as a compliment. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, for sure. And the um, unreasonableness, right, to, to have a purpose in, in life and, and strive um, for excellence. Obviously, persistence plays a role in that. And that's you know, one of the things that we talk about at Trinity. Nothing in the world, you know, can take the place of persistence. Persistence. And uh, yeah, so in your pursuit um, of, of excellence, right, not to be too corny on that one, but, um, you know, there's persistence that needs to come in because people are going to tell you stop being unreasonable but you need to forge forward and, and um, give us an example or two of, of how persistence has played in uh, your journey as you've come to uh, one championship. 
Yeah, I think in some of my lowest times of my life, when I thought that everything was going to be a failure, that quote of persistence and that belief that persistence will yield rewards for your labor was one of the, the things that I, I drew upon because the path of a of anybody's path in life, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or a corporate person or whatever it is that you do, you're going to face these moments where you have to decide, do I per persist with what I want to do or do I, do I give up? And sometimes giving up is the right choice. And sometimes you have to have faith that your persistence will, will yield and you're not being foolish. Right. And that's, that's, that's very difficult to, to determine. And um, I think, yeah, I, I get a lot of inspiration from, from athletes and our world champions um, and people that have been so fortunate in my life to be around who exemplify these characteristics of unreasonable and persistence. You know, um, and, I'll, and I'll tell you a story about uh, one of our world champions, um, uh, Ongla, Ongla Ngsang. He is a uh, world champion with one championship from Burma, and he was a refugee moved to the States. And um, when he fought for his world championship title, it was back in his hometown where he defended his, defended his title in Myanmar. And the nation, when I say the nation, came out to watch him compete, buses were stopped. Every, there was tens of thousands of people at the stadium that couldn't get in. And it was insane, insane. They had all come to watch this hero of theirs become a world champion and defend his, his, his title. Because as you can imagine, there's not a lot of world champions coming out of Myanmar in, in any sport. Right. And this was one of their, of their own. And um, the pressure of the nation on him. And uh, after the fight, after the bout, which he won, I went up to congratulate him. And uh, the first thing that he said to me, and you have to imagine this, imagine the weight on this man's shoulder of the entire nation. And the first thing that he says to me is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mr. Kui. I, I should have done better. I made some mistakes. He won, okay, he wow, won. Yeah. Yeah. And he apologized. He had the presence of mind. Like if I want anything, I'd be jumping over like, yeah. He right. was calm and, and, and gathered and he came to me. It's like, I'm sorry. I should have done better. I'm going to be better next time. And I walked away thinking about that is why he is world champion. Because even at the precipice of victory, even with the entire nation and a stadium of 20,000 people chanting his name, his first thought is, how do I persist to become better? Mm -hmm. How do I become better? And that in itself is an unreasonable thought. Because 99.9% <laughs> yeah. .9 of reasonable men would celebrate. They'd go out and celebrate and they'd party. But yeah. this was a guy, and, and that's really the kind of traits that separate um, great men like that. That's a world champion. Mm -hmm. Because they just, they think differently. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The 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 uh, another thing that we spoke about, which I think this is phenomenal, because if you just think about it in its purest sense, um, it, the, the statement is um, humbling to me, because um, I've had some personal experiences with this as well. But your the second part of that, which which is in the company of greatness, that sometimes you just don't know 
the group of people you're with, what their potential is, what they're capable of doing, and the greatness that they can bring to the world in their lives. And I know you had mentioned that uh, when, when we were talking. So you have the unreasonable in the company of greatness. So tell us a little bit about what that means when you use that term. Well, I, I think back to my active days in the fraternity and you look around and that was maybe the last time in my life that I was with people that had amazing potential and everyone's gone to do their own thing of, of their own level of greatness of, that they set for themselves. But the crazy thing is when you're in the fraternity and at 18 years old, you don't know what people's journey is gonna be yet. You only know that you've come together because there's deep down inside you, you want to learn from others around you and you wanna be a part of an organization that mm -hmm. demands a different standard for, for its membership, demands a higher level of values, of integrity and, and, and holds you to it. Your colleagues hold you to it, your peers hold you to it, your brothers hold you to it. And in the fraternity, you know, you, you around all these, these people and that um, you're building a foundation that is unmatched in my experience in your later years of professional relationships because you meet people you know, later in life and they become good colleagues, good coworkers or good friends and you know them. But in the fraternity, you've just got this decade after decade that builds on it of a relationship back in the day when you were nothing and you were still trying to figure it out. And this brother that you studied with and helped him pass an exam is now the you know, CEO of a large nonprofit organization or um, the, the, the brother who walked through the door in tears and didn't have anyone to talk to because he just broke up with his girlfriend is now you know, the biggest CEO banker that, you can, that you'd ever have a chance to, to, to talk to. And all these things are such an important part of building relationships that the fraternity gives you. And I always say when, when I meet, you know, meet the actives in the fraternity, I'm like, you really have no idea. You, you don't know that this guy that is vomiting in your toilet <laughs> yeah. what he's going to be, you know? Yeah. So, so in that instance, who was that guy? I don't know <laughs> if you could drop names or not, but no, no name dropping, but uh, um, you know, I would say that in my pledge class, I'm by far the dumbest. So uh, I, was, I was lucky to be in that group. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, the whole in company of greatness is, is such a, a important turn. I actually have a son that's, uh, that's uh, in the fraternity right now. And, and you, you know, he was, we were chit-chatting the other day and, and he's like, well, all these successful people that were in your pledge class or in your chapter, you know, what did they major in? What were they doing? And I'm like, um, I think Spanish and some other majors. And I'm like, listen, just enjoy your time. Don't wish it away. Embrace the brotherhood of the chapter and everything will be fine. And then turn on the persistence. And like you said, have that unreasonable uh, nature and, and things will work out. So, um, yeah. And, so. And, the, and the fraternity teaches you to, to have that growth mindset, right? To be open to the potential of, of somebody else. Like my grandfather always used to say, even best friends were strangers at one point. And that is literally what the fraternity is. 
-hmm. You walk in on the first day and you look at this room of 50, 70, 100 people and you're just like, I will not be friends with any of you. Like, who are you? You know, you're just, right. you're looking at everybody like, who are these people? They're just absolute strangers. And, um, and, and they end up, you know, being lifelong friends. Yeah. And that's, it's such a unique experience because you don't get a chance to do that anywhere else in life. The other part that I, where I did was when I joined the, the, the Navy reserves and that I would say that experience was very close to the fraternity. You know, there's a lot of similarities in, mm -hmm. in boot camp and initiations. Yeah, <laughs> for, for sure. Well, you made a comment a minute ago, which there's a couple of quotes I wanted to, you know, ask you to kind of elaborate on. I want to, I'm going to read it here because I want to, you know, make, uh, make sure I get it. But you said, you know, when I walk into a room, I'm almost always not the smartest uh, person in there. And you made mention to it. So what do you mean by that? And how does some of this, the faith uh, in the fraternity have helped you overcome that? So elaborate a little bit. I think when, when you're around um, other leaders, you really learn to appreciate how talented people are and different skill set, whether it's playing hockey or cooking MNDs or like just other people that, that, that open your eyes where you thought that maybe you excelled in one area, you suddenly realize, wow, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the pile. And, and generally in my life, you know, I, whatever it was doing, whatever I was doing, whether it was sports or academics, I, I was never the naturally most smartest. I never mm -hmm. got the highest grades I was never the fastest runner. I was never um, the most talented, you know. I didn't make any money off of these looks. This didn't, <laughs> like, there was nothing, nothing there that I had. And right. the biggest strength that I, that, um, that I developed was just, I decided that if I didn't have this talent, then I would have to outwork everybody that was there. And, if the coach said do five laps, I'd do eight. If I thought that, you know, you had to study two hours for something, I'd study five and just count on, on me putting in the extra time to bank for my, you know, make up for my, for my weaknesses. Right. But also that it also put me in the mindset that when I'm around other people that I am there to learn. I'm like, well, what, what, is what is there for me. Of course I want to give, but what is there also for me to, to absorb and learn from others as opposed to thinking I'm here to, to spread my knowledge and teach yeah. everybody because I'm the smartest in the room. Yeah. So I would say that you're a humble hustler, right? You got to get out there and, and hustle to, to, to stand out. Another one that, that I like that you would indicate says creating new value rather than compete for value, uh, or excuse me, creating new value rather than competing for value created by others. Um, tell me what you mean by that. Well, let me bring it back to the fraternity, to something that's um, relatable for us. And if you look at um, pledging and pledge week and rush week, you know, that actually is the sentiment of rush, rush week. You have to show that, that all these people, all these clubs and organization wants everybody to join them right? They're all delivering some form of value. But the fraternity has this other obstacle. One, it's an organization of only men, you know, so there's 50% of the population gone. 
It has all these preconceived prejudices that people have of who joins a fraternity and what a fraternity is about. You know, if you say you want to join the chess club, nobody questions why you're joining the chess club or what or whatever it might be. And, and um, the fraternity and when you are in charge of rush or, or looking to replace yourself as an active, you have to show what is this extra value that you're bringing to the table and how to deliver that to people. And, and the great thing about, about it is the value that people get from the fraternity is not um, the same for everyone. It, it is such a fluid um, organization that it allows people to find their own path of what it is that they're looking for that value. But what happens is you get a big brother, you get somebody else that points you in the direction that you, that you want and, and is able to, to support you. So I think, the, you know, if you can convince a random stranger to join your fraternity, you could probably sell anything, you know? It's yeah. a it's it's an early great skill set to have at the at 18 years old. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Transferable to everything in life without question. Absolutely. Without question. So I have two more two more questions for you. One is kind of flipping back to your business. Like tell uh, tell the audience, like what what is your greatest business accomplishment? Um, or maybe a better way to ask that is what are you most proud of as you've developed your uh, professional and business career? Oh, uh, I've, I've been that's called so, a God, that's called a gotcha question, by the way, yeah. Victor. <laughs> I, I've been so lucky in my life to be around so many great people that have have given me opportunities and um, have have helped me along the way. Just really, really lucky. And I'd say, my what I'm most proud of is that the people that I work with and the people that I got to join the company love the mission that we're on with one championship to make this world a better place. And they're a part of it and they've contributed it. And when I'm in meetings and I look around and I just think the same feeling that I used to get in the fraternity where I look around, I'm like, how did I get so lucky to be in this room with this many talented people? Like what, what did I do that put me here at this table with all these other guys? And, and I'm continually just, amazed at that when we have meetings and I listen to the insights and the arguments and the discussions that we have from people of, of, uh, that are all part of, of the company. And I think there is, there's a lot to be said about that because greatness wants to be in the company of greatness, you know, and, and, and people want to be around other talented people. So I, I believe mm -hmm. that that kind of feeds on itself with our organization. So if I were to, to, to identify that one singular thing, I'd say that, that it's that, that it's really a company of amazing people that I get a chance to work with every day. Yeah, that's great. All right, so here's, here's the last one. This is an easy one, right? This is, you can pontificate on this. So rewind, you're sitting here right now and you look over and you see your 19 year old self, your 19 year old Figam self, knowing what you've known and, and everything, everything else with the fraternity, what advice would you give yourself? You're 19, there's 19 year old Victor about ready to start his journey in life, starting with the fraternity. What advice do you give? You know, I, I, I think about that often. And the last time I thought about it was when um, I went to, to go back to the chapter a few months or maybe a year ago mm -hmm. to, to talk to the active chapter. I'm like, if I was sitting there 
and some old fart came into the room who's, <laughs> you know, a grad and he's like, says, oh, I'm here to talk. And you're like, okay, well, what would you really want to say? And uh, beyond some, some great, you know, generic inspirational stuff of, of, of like, oh, do good or challenge yourself. And, you know, really right. what would, would you want? And I spent a lot of time thinking about it because it was very, very difficult. And uh, the one thing that I came to that related to me personally that I would tell myself and what I shared with the chapter is that to make bigger efforts to know in some capacity every single brother in that chapter. Because at some point, and it's natural, but at some point, I, I closed my circle even within the chapter to my pledge class and maybe the pledge class above me and below, you know, to a smaller circle. I was intimidated by the older grads. I didn't, I didn't reach out to talk to them or ask for advice or I was, I thought, oh, they wouldn't have any time for me or why would they want to give me advice? And, um, and I missed out on that. I would have, I would have loved to have had more coffee sessions because I know now had I had the confidence to go up to any any fourth year brother and say, could we go for coffee? They would have gladly done it. You know, they would have been happy to be asked by, by uh, an undergrad or a first year guy to, for, you know, just looking for advice. And um, I, I was, uh, it takes a while, you know, when you're 18 years old, 19 years old to find your lane of confidence. So you naturally you stick with people that do the things that you do or your pledge class when you're in your comfort zone. And um, it maybe wasn't until my, my fifth year in university that I realized that I didn't, I didn't take advantage of all these people that um, were around me that wanted to give me, give me the advice. And so, so uh, yeah, that's probably what I tell myself. Like, don't be, don't be chicken. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go talk to someone. Yeah, that's great. Victor, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Your, your insight, you know, the, the way that you've um, presented yourself on this interview is absolutely genuine. So I, I know that you're passionate about the fraternity and I know a lot of people pull you in a lot of directions. So I just want to personally thank you for spending the time to um, talk about your experience with the fraternity and, and share your, your knowledge. So thank you again for joining us. No, really thank you for the opportunity and um, uh, really, I really appreciate it. And this, the fraternity has been such a big part of my life and of, of my friendships, and I'm eternally grateful for everything. Yeah, great. And I'd like to thank everybody that uh, was listening to us today. Um, we're going to have a lot more episodes of uh, On the Banks, where we'll meet some amazing brothers, hear some uh, terrific stories, and uh, continue down this journey together. So until we meet again, On the Banks, just want to let you know, mighty proud to be a Fiji. Mighty proud.